0: Hello, I'm Sophie, and welcome to the Hospice Podcast. As ever, we're at St John's Hospice to chat through topics. We release a podcast on the first day of every month about something that we're asked about, and we hope to help you broaden your understanding of palliative and end-of-life care. So this podcast is about what to say to someone who's recently been given a life-shortening diagnosis. And we also want to cover what to say to someone who's recently been bereaved, And I don't think it matters to you who are listening, whether you're a health professional or not, This is something we're all likely to face. And we hope with the right information, we can help people going through these very difficult times. And today I'm delighted to say we're joined by Simon Edgecombe, who's the medical director of St. John's Hospice. He's been with us for several years and previously worked as a GP. Hello, Simon.
1: Hello, Sophie, and thanks for the opportunity to uh, take part in this.
0: No, thank you for joining us. I'm going to go straight in there because obviously you've got a number of years' of experience, to put it gently. In your experience, what do you say to someone who's been given a life-shortening diagnosis? Because there's a lot of us who don't know where to start.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's really understandable. I think these conversations will often mark a, a you know a really new arena a new chapter in in relationship even with people you know very well um, so it, it's a it's a topic dear to my heart i think probably the most important thing of all is that this is about listening more than it's about telling and okay. uh, the very question what do you say it implies that that there must be some key phrases or words that are Um, uh, the right thing to say and and I think this is much more about finding a way of being comfortable uh, being around somebody who's going through what you've described and, and, and finding an approach that works for you and for them.
0: I suppose my concern is that if you don't know what to say, you say nothing. Yes. And then the other person, the person who has been diagnosed with this life-shortening condition is thinking, she's not going there. She's not even acknowledging it. She doesn't want to talk about it.
1: Yes, yes. So,
0: I'm sure you're not going to give me a script. But we feel we need to say something, don't we? Because, yes. like I said, otherwise we say nothing, and then yes. that's awkward as well. Yes.
1: I think... um I think asking really open questions is really important, and you can ask someone how how are you in, in myriad different ways. Yeah. But a, but a, how are you a, a, with with a real interest and a real preparedness to listen? I think is a really good place to start.
0: So now I'm going to be a hypocrite, and I'm going to say, is there ever a time when actually we should avoid talking about it?
1: Yeah, and I think I think this comes back to to really listening to the person in front of you and picking up the messages that they're giving you. I think having a new diagnosis, being bereaved, is fundamentally a really lonely place to find yourself. Um, but even people who are on that journey or in that particular uh, place, they'll want time when they're not thinking about about what's going on in their lives and they would be happier to watch the footy or, or East Enders or whatever it is that they want to do. And I think we can often just read that. But what we see much more often is almost a sense of sort of mutual protection where, where people are sort of dancing around each other and really not yeah. saying anything yes. for fear of causing hurt and, and of causing upset so so i think really paying attention to um your instincts and listening to what the what the person in front of you is saying is is a really good place to start alongside those those open questions
0: so open questions and i think what you're saying correct me if i've got it wrong is be led by that person yeah. if they want to talk about it
1: yeah if exactly. you're
0: asking open questions and they keep coming back to the football the races whatever exactly then there's your cue that actually they don't want to
1: talk about it. Exactly. So how are you? Really, how are you? Could be answered with a long silence and a tear, or it could be answered with, Fernando's not playing very well today, or, sure, I'm trying to watch this. Um, And so that's what I mean about listening. It isn't just about the words, it's about the messages that people give you.
0: But it's also the way you, you said it, Simon, with all due respect, you, you said, how are you? In, in a way that if you asked that to me, I'd know you really meant it. Whereas I think a lot of us get nervous and go, Oh, how are you? How's things?
1: Yeah. And one of, the, one of the things to pay attention to there is just, if you've asked a question that is meaningful, be prepared to just be quiet afterwards. Just be silent. Uh, we, we don't like silence in our no. in our conversations, but if you've asked a question that you really mean, however difficult or clunky it felt when you asked it, if you follow that with silence, then as a rule, uh, if someone wants to talk, they will fill that silence.
0: Sam, you're just making me thinking when you say the word silence. What I hear from a nun- number of people is once they've said to people, you know, I- I've got this diagnosis, I've only got, you know, in my, you know, in my thoughts so long left, everybody suddenly goes away. It's like, you're left thinking, okay, all my friends have gone. Friends are actually thinking, oh no, we must stay away because he, she needs their rest. That's what I hear a lot. They need their rest. Meanwhile, you're there thinking, oh, everyone's left me.
1: Exactly. Like I said, I think it's a really lonely place to be and, and. I think we have lots of sort of ideas and cultural norms. Oh, someone's bereaved, or oh, we'd better step back and give yeah. them some space. And that might be what the person wants, but it's very likely that it's not.
0: They might just want the choice of yeah, whether exa- to come out exactly, or whether exactly. not to.
1: Exactly. And, and, and I, think, I think we're much happier talking about problems with people when we've got an answer. Yeah. And I think, I I come back to the thing, it's not so much about the words as having a sort of an approach, and part of the approach I think we all need is is to enter into conversations knowing we don't have answers. I can't solve someone's bereavement for them. I can't undiagnose them. So i probably best just not talk to them because I can't solve it. And I think we have this instinct that we must be in there and, and solving things, when in fact what matters... If you really talk to people who are in this sort of distress, what really matters is that they want someone alongside them.
0: That's about us, though, isn't it? I say us, I'm sure I'm not the only person. There be a lot of listeners today, just like me, who are what I call fixers. We want to fix. Yeah. We want to make things better. We want to talk to someone, see someone and walk away thinking, I, I've helped that, I've fixed that, I've sorted that. And we find it really hard not to. Yes. And what you're actually saying is you can't fix, you can't all be solved, but actually by being with someone, exactly, that may be enough?
1: Exactly. Being with people is often enough because the sorts of problems you've described, a serious diagnosis or a bereavement are not going to go away. No one can fix those. Mm-hmm. And if that means we'd rather not talk to them, then we're probably um, letting that person down actually. Um, Yeah, I I think that's a really important point. And I I think the other thing that can fill that sort of difficulty is language that's a bit trite or a bit... um, We reach for euphemisms. Yes. So we go for things like, oh, I'm sure it'll be all right. And...
0: He'll bounce back, she'll bounce back. They'll the be okay. Yes.
1: They'll be okay is a good one. Uh, and, and also the whole of the language that has developed around um, uh, fight a battle. There's a sort of military set of language. We do battle, battle. with our cancer. You know, um, and, and there's quite a lot of research evidence around this that just shows how burdensome that can be for people I can
0: completely understand that because I hear people say, and I'm not just saying, you know, because it's you, I hear people say she lost the fight as if it was her fault.
1: Exactly. And I've seen a lot of patients who, along with everything else they're dealing with as they come towards the end of life, is a sense of having failed. If the message is, if you fight hard enough, you can beat this, then what does losing to it mean? It means you didn't do your bit. And people are really burdened by that sort of language. So personally, I think some people slip into that, but I think the language of I'm sure you can fight it, um, I'm sure you can beat this, is probably unhelpful because I think quite often that person, those ears, hearing that language feels they haven't got anything to fight with. And actually it's not a fight they can ever win because that's the nature of the disease or their circumstance.
0: Can we talk a little a bit more about language, Simon? Because obviously there's, there's language you're talking about, fight, victim, survive, battle. But there's also the issue of what we won't say. So mm. there is what I know you and others would describe the elephant in the room. So this sort of mutual silence. We'll talk about anything, yes. but... Yes. And then I think we've also got, haven't we... The D word. Nobody wants to say died. So you and I will hear he's gone away. She's gone to sleep. Why do we do this? And yeah. I include health professionals in that as well, don't Oh, absolutely. Don't? Absolutely,
1: heard. Sophie. You know, you're right. And and um, uh, passed away is, is the current favourite of those. It's actually largely become just passed now. And I think... Um, in some senses it's quite a useful uh, turn of phrase I guess, but I think what we have to recognise when we use language like that is is that it's pretty confusing for quite a lot of people, um, for um, children, for um, uh, people perhaps with learning difficulties, people perhaps who by uh, personality type take language very literally? Okay, you'll find that sort of description. You know, if someone's gone away, well, where have they gone? You know, can I go and see them? Are yeah. they coming back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a GP, certainly, I've seen children who are petrified of going to sleep because okay. that euphemism has been used. You know, Grandpa's gone to sleep. Well, I'm not then, because I've seen what happens. Yeah. Um, so euphemisms are. Useful but but risky, yeah. But, and it's part of death being a taboo for us, isn't it? Let's face it, you know, we, we don't like talking about it.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, when we talk about past, passed away, is there something spiritual about that expression, about people passing away to a different place or people yeah, that's interesting? passing yeah. to another side? I'm just literally, thinking aloud around this is is that i wonder if that's where know. that's come from is it a cultural spiritual and also to be fair and you, you know this as well as i do and you know i i i count people very close to me that say to me Sophie, will we stop saying die will you stop saying die you, you don't need to yeah. say that they do, they don't want to hear it either
1: yeah yeah no it's an interesting question that I guess I'm thinking on my feet too, but I, th- I suspect in, in a in an increasingly secular world, um, "passed away" covers all sorts of bases without that awful biological finality of yeah. "died" or, or "dead," yeah. um, which does have a rather sort of cold scientific sound to it. And, and uh, that, that's that's interesting.
0: You talked briefly before, and you're right, the risk. So. I'm going to ask you, and again, I'm sorry because I'm going to put you on the spot, but for me, I feel a a risky area, not just for me, but for the people is talking to children. Mm, mm, And uh, mm. again, apologies for putting you on the spot, but are there any do's and don'ts? What are the classic things that you see where you think, oh, no, please, no?
1: I think... um, I think talking to children about death is is um, we could almost do a whole whole podcast on that I- itself but I think I think there's some real um, really important things to hold if if you're in a position where you're talking to children about about someone who's died I think the the first of those I would say is you've got to accept when you're talking to to children that they are inherently much more flitting in their concentration than adults as a rule. So whereas you might sit and have a conversation with an adult about a matter relating to dying, uh, a children's quite likely to do that between mouthfuls of spaghetti hoops and then be talking about Playmobil
0: ten seconds later,
1: leaving you going, hang on a minute, I thought we were talking about dying and now we're talking about Playmobil. Um, and we've got to roll with that. We have. We've got to accept and be opportunistic and take those little moments when children will uh, go there, as it were, um, uh, and, and make sure that we make space for for how their their brains are working. Um, how a three-year-old will make sense of death and how a six year old or a 16 year old make it are all completely different. And so you've got to, you've got to be mindful about how, how um, uh, mature that, that, that child is. It, you know, ch- children's a big spectrum, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're right, the three six and the 16 year old. And that takes me back to what we were talking about briefly before in terms of the not talking about it. Yeah. So you can't make someone talk about it, can you? Whether no. they're a child or an adult, if, it is, if it's not a place they no. want to go. And neither
1: should you, neither should you. Yeah. It's like you were saying earlier, sometimes people just don't want to. And actually sometimes people's way of coping at any given moment is for a while, or even occasionally really for a long while, to just block it out. And actually, if we force our conversations on anyone, children or adults, mm. we probably do them a disservice.
0: And so we're back, aren't we, to the actually I would like some time without talking about my illness, yeah. without talking yeah. about my bereavement, but also you being, back to where you were before, being alongside them so that if they do want to talk yes. about it, then that's okay. Exactly.
1: Too. And in that balance, I think what the evidence shows when people have uh, interviewed cancer patients and bereaved people, mm-hmm. um, people find much more... Uh, people would like to talk about it much more than they have the opportunity, and we should remember that there will be times when people don 't want to talk about it, but it 's much more common that people f- don 't feel they 've got the opportunity
0: when I listen to some of the patients, they will often say and they will obviously say it to you even more than me is, "I want to talk about it, but they don 't yes
1: yes it's What's certainly something that well, I think I think that 's really common and really important and I think one of the key things we do in the hospice um, and by that I mean in the inpatient unit but also our skilled um, clinicians out in the community as well is I think sometimes our job is to act as a facilitator of those conversations and that's about putting two people in the same space and saying what i what I see is this is where you're coming from, but this is what I'm hearing from you, uh, and and I think that's quite a high level skill, and I think that that is a pretty tricky thing uh, for us to take on as lay people, but recognising that it's happening might be a really good a really good starting point.
0: And what about because again you're making me think, you know, we've we've got the conversations we have with our families. Obviously, you and I work in a hospice. If we look at the broader sort of health and social care profession, Mm. without opening a huge can of worms, I suppose depending on what your role is within health and social care, you will or won't have had an amount of support, training, whatever the development is around how to deal with this subject. Because sometimes if I take myself out of my work environment to a personal, I've heard... Oh well actually that's for the doctor to discuss with you. Yes. Because it's almost as if I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. That's 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 what a doctor or a consultant does. It's, Again. It's just a sort of another
1: excuse not to have the conversation yeah. almost, isn't it?
0: Yeah. See back into the elephant in the room, isn't it? Yeah. I want yeah. I want I want someone else to talk about. And I go that. back
1: to that point, most people want more opportunity to have these discussions, not less.
0: Simon, I'm conscious that I've asked you loads and loads of questions, and I'm thinking, is there anything that you're thinking? I want to say this, but Sophie's not letting me get a word in edgewise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> never, Sophie. Never. Never. Never.
0: I guess it, there was one other
1: point I just wanted to make, which is that I think it's about time, really. And oh, I mean, there's so many trite things around time. Other time heals, and so on. But 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 actually. Sometimes these conversations are not are not one conversation. They're a series of conversations. And I, I think a lot of bereaved people will have heard if there's anything I can do, let yeah. me know from probably everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's whether you hear that again and again. It's whether you find a lasagna on your doorstep one day or whether or whether yeah. someone's phoning you up and saying, I know you haven't contacted me, but I just wonder if So I think I think taking a view on this over a period of time is really important. And if you're going to be alongside them, be, be alongside them over that period of time.
0: I'm really interested to hear you say that, and I apologise to, to listeners if I've said this before, but we, we have somebody that works with the hospice who was told the story of basically that people, when her husband died, in her early 50s, when her husband died, people would put cars through the door in the middle of the night. They yeah. put flowers on her doorstep first thing in the morning, but they would not knock on the door. So they will do the gesture, obviously very well-meaning, but it's it's like the funeral, isn't it? The funeral's over, a number of people have had closure, one conversation's not going to solve it, is it? One visit. But you're... Is it,
1: though, one? No, no, you're right. And, and and I think I think that's really interesting, actually, because I just think you've got a bit of um, making... the you, Gesture was the right word, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's the conversation that's the hard bit. That's why we're talking about it today. And and I think it, it takes more to ring the doorbell or to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of our communication these days is not vocal, isn't it? It's text or, or yeah. it's message or it's answer phone or whatever it might be. But... I think these are the bits that take um courage and yet these are the bits that we know that people these are what people want. I think the other thing about the time thing is that
0: yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You said time doesn't heal. Yeah, but what I does I, someone, No, but I think it, does? I
1: think in terms I think in terms of of um time, uh, conversations over time. Sometimes it's about agreeing the agenda, agreeing what's okay to be talking about, and, and people move psychologically from the moment of diagnosis through treatment, and, and we see that all the time, as people have to accept what life and health has dealt them. But that's a gradual process. So what I might want to be talking about last week, or today, or in two weeks' time, will change. Yeah. And that's the importance of, a, of this idea of a repeated conversation. If you've laid the bedrock of you, you've shown you're a real listener. You've shown that you're genuinely concerned. You've asked people how they are. You've mm-hmm. asked open questions. You've been prepared to sit and let them think about their answer. And you've laid some really amazing foundations. And as things change and move, and and the person. Uh, has new has new situations to adapt to, or a new understanding okay. to take on board? Then, then you're still alongside them.
0: And that could be six days, six weeks, six months. Indeed, I carry on.
1: Absolutely.
0: So it's back to that. Long, it's a long term commitment, really, isn't it? It
1: is. And those. Yeah. Are, and, and, but if we want to make a difference to those who are facing these moments in their lives, then it does take a time. It uh, yeah. uh, does take a period of time.
0: Conscious that we've talked through a lot of different things, if there was one thing that you wanted people to take away, because we won't remember everything that we've heard today, although obviously as a listener, you you can play this back and listen to it as often as you like. If you had to pick one thing for people to take away today, Simon, what would would that one thing be?
1: (laughs) A short list. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, No, what I'm thinking is don't make assumptions. accept the messages that people are giving to you and really really listen
0: genuinely listen
1: really listen to what people are telling
0: simon it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for joining us i'm going to ask you and another colleague on who's got a very strong interest in this area to talk about child bereavement in a future podcast if that's okay i with look forward you.
1: to that thanks for the time today
0: great thank you mm-hmm. If you feel this has been helpful to you and will be useful for someone else, please do share it. We'll be with you again soon, talking through a different palliative care subject. To make sure you don't miss the next one, simply choose the subscribe option. Thank you for listening today.